Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're about to open your word. You've given it to us. You've preserved it for thousands of years. It's a miracle just to hold it in our hands. And so it's a miracle what its truths do in our lives. So, Father, you who are a working, a miracle-working God, work one through your word today. For we ask you this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church. Amen. Today, as we continue in this little series of messages that, that I've just called Deploying Hope, we spent quite a few weeks discovering hopes in the scripture, particularly hopes in the book of Revelation. And now we're seeking to put hope to work. How, how does hope make a difference in our life? How do we deploy it? It's one thing to have it all ready to go, but how do we put it to work? How does it work in our lives? And, and today, I want us, and I myself, want to put an incredible hope to work. I want to deploy the hope that there's coming a day, there's coming a day when believers from every corner of the earth and from every period of time, will be gathered before the throne of God. A day when things of earth will grow strangely dim, as the old hymn says, in the light of God's glory and grace. It will be a day, my hope's in this, it will be a day when salvation from sin and death will be on everyone's lips. That's all we can talk about. We've been saved, we've been saved, we've been saved from both sin, it'll never hassle us again, and death. That ultimate judgment of God will never be part of our lives. Salvation from sin and death will be on everyone's lips. And the focus will be upon the source of our salvation. And that focus will block everything else out. All of those believers gathered there will be perfectly united in their identity with the God of all creation, Father, Son, and Spirit. They will wrap arms around each other, speaking the same language, anticipating the same destiny. They will represent the high point of God's dealing with mankind. They will be as people forever, and there will be no conflict or discord among them. They will truly be a worldwide fellowship. Now, this hope of mine is discovered in the book of Revelation, even as the momentum behind it is gained from a variety of other scriptures, and we'll be looking at them this morning. But right now, discover, or should I say rediscover, this hope with me this morning. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Make this very personal. Your hope. My hope. 
There, John says, was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and they cried out. They cried out, salvation belongs to our God. Does it not? Salvation is found in no one else. And they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Now, what a day that will be. Some time ago, we covered that passage when we were going through the book of Revelation, and we realized that this assemblage that still is more than anybody can count from every tribe and language and nation and so forth, these are all tribulation saints. They're coming out of the tribulation, that great time when, when this world will rebel by and large against God, and yet there'll be 144,000 people speaking for God, Jewish evangelists, if you will, spreading the word through the whole world, and this vast host comes out of that time of tribulation, confessing faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus will have already returned. The church will have been raptured out of the world. And this great company we saw in Revelation chapter 7 is assembled before the throne. And ultimately, we will join that company even in the new Jerusalem that we saw. But there they are, a great multitude. No one could count them. And they generate, even as they stand there, the even greater expression of fellowship that will someday come when every single redeemed human being is together in one place at one time. Moments like that are incredible. I've had a couple of moments in my life where Christians gathered together in a very, very impressive kind of way. One was when I was in high school and was part of the Youth for Christ uh, ministry. And every four years, one time in a kid's high school career, Youth for Christ would sponsor something in Washington, D.C. that they called Teen Convention. And I got to go one year. The first time I was ever out of Pennsylvania. It was awesome. This great, there's about 10,000 teenagers there. And you know, 10,000 teenagers in one place at one time are like about 100,000 normal people. And there they were. There we were. I was a little shorter than I am right now. And I remember there was a time where I was in the middle of a floor with all these people. It seemed like all of them were seven feet tall. And we were just shoulder to shoulder, and you're just kind of moving with the crowd, but we were all there professing faith in Jesus Christ. We were all there saying as young people that our lives belong to Christ, and it was the largest group of such Christians I'd ever been part of. And it was like, wow. And nobody was arguing about anything because we were just focused upon the things that we all believed with all of our hearts. A few years ago, I was part of a group, the Promise Keepers. They've kind of passed along, but they served a purpose at a time. And there was a Promise Keepers convention in the Angel Stadium, Anaheim Stadium, 50,000 men. 
singing the praises of God, declaring that they would keep and hold firm to the promises that God has given in his word and the promises that they had made to live for God, to be the leaders of their family. And that was just an awesome kind of thing. But we could count them. Teen Convention, 10,000. Promise Keepers, 50,000. John says, there's so many there that he saw that no man could count them really and come up with a, an accurate number. And there they are. The energy created by that. The fellowship created by that when you're standing shoulder to shoulder with those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ exactly as you do. And the smile of God is upon them all. Oh, my hope is, is participating in that moment way off in the future when, whenever it takes place. That's the hope discovered in the word of God. But now how about this hope defined? How do we actually just define it rather than just read the scripture? How do we put it in an expectant form? Well, I just put it this way. There is coming a day when believers from every corner of the earth will be united as one before the Father's throne. Can you see yourself there? Not just the tribulation saints, but see there's coming a day after that when every redeemed individual from first, you know, from Old Testament days to New Testament days to our days will be gathered together before the throne of the God of the universe. And they will be all experiencing the same thing, caught up in the glory of God, the goodness of God, and the very fact that salvation that belongs to their God has been given to them. And we're saved. We're saved, secure, forever. There's coming a day when believers from every corner of the earth will be united as one before the Father's throne. And there will be no squabbling, no debating, only enjoying the purity and the holiness of the moment and of the salvation they all share together. Every Sunday morning is a little bit like that. I mean, what got us all in this room this morning? Can you think of anything we actually have in common other than Christ? I remember Don Grant used to say all the time about his cell group that he could sit there and think to himself, there is no reason that this group of eight people should ever be together around this table. They had a lot of diversity in their group. There is no human reason why these eight or nine people should ever be around this table as distinct and different in background and, and profession and various things as they are except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the thing we have in common. Well, someday we'll stand with an untold number and we'll have that same feeling. Jesus Christ is what we have in common. And Jesus Christ and the joy he brings, we share together. Well, here now, 
my hope discovered, my hope defined. How about my hope deployed? Now, how do we actually put this to work? How do we put it to work, release it into our lives? Well, I write it this way. Since my hope is in the unity that all believers will one day experience, I will make every effort to unite with all believers even now. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know a Christian you disagree with? How many of you know a Christian you think is a bit weird? See, we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. It's the devil who would say, look at that. Look what he or she's wearing. Look at the way they seem to be. You know, and we we tend to see differences when it's not helpful. So if I really want to put this hope to work, i got to get past that. Look how old that guy is. Got to get past that. Since my hope is in the unity that all believers will one day experience, I will make every effort. See, this is something we, we do. That we're responsible to share in this. I will make every effort to unite with all believers even now. An amazing event took place in our country just yesterday. I didn't know about it really or wasn't much aware of it until just a few days before. But there was a prayer march in Washington, D.C. organized by Franklin Graham and some others. Born-again believers. The kind that will be gathered around the throne of God one day, gathered together. Some people say there were 50,000 of them. You can take a picture and try to count them. 50,000 of them gathered together to declare that the only hope for this nation's ills is to be found in the goodness and mercy of God and in the salvation from sin provided by Jesus Christ. I asked Linda if she could find a picture of them gathered on the Washington Mall. There they were. I'm going to say more than 50,000. All the way up the reflection pools, all the way at this end of things where they had the, the platform set up. And they're there for one reason and one reason only. I went through the, uh, the internet, just different pictures that I could find just this morning quickly. And, you know, all I saw is people holding folders, uh, signs, banners uh, regarding salvation in Jesus Christ. There, there was no political agenda. There was no vote this, do that. But just talking about Jesus Christ. And, of course, the very, very popular verse, if my people was everywhere. If my people would just pray, repent, ask, and over and over and over, and, and you, you see people not at odds with each other at all. It was a peaceful gathering, even with that many people. And I bet they even cleaned up their mess. An amazing thing. This was a prayer rally, calling people to pray for every aspect of our nation. 
to pray for every one of our leaders. It was a call to rise above earthly things and to appeal to God's forgiveness and renewed provision for this land. And just looking at that picture, it pictured for me, it went beyond just the words of the book of Revelation, and it's a visual, it pictured for me and stimulated in me renewed hope that true believers possess the possibility, even now, of finding tremendous fellowship with one another. And to just say, in Jesus Christ, we have a bond. In Jesus Christ, we have an agreement. In Jesus Christ, we have a solution, and our hearts are wrapped around it. Now, that kind of fellowship and the joyful testimony it generates has been a desire of Jesus Christ for his church from the very beginning of the church. Today's key scripture now records a fervent appeal for unity given by the Apostle Paul. And in this appeal, Paul tells us all we need to know about what Christian unity is. That's important for us to know. Sometimes we think Christian unity touches on so many different things that, that the things we're identifying actually separate us rather than bring us together. So really, what is Christian unity about? And how does it come about? And by the way, what we're sharing this morning works on a small scale as well as a universal scale. There should be Christian unity in a Christian family, shouldn't there? So that's the smallest scale, maybe two, three, four, five, six, however many. Believers together should be exhibiting a kind of heart bond and a unity and a connectedness that the whole body of Christ is to exhibit. So how does that come about? What is it based upon? And how do we go about achieving it? So here's the scripture, Philippians 2, 1 to 2. First two verses of chapter 2. Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have, we could add, any comfort from his love. If you have, we could say, any fellowship with the Spirit. If you have and have experienced any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, that's a pretty familiar passage, I'm sure. You've heard it read before. Paul is appealing to a, a whole congregation to just draw together heart to heart, draw together as Christians on the basis of the things that, that they share together. In fact, I would say in that passage, there's a description of true unity. True and blessed Christian unity is enjoyed by believers who are thinking alike, loving alike, and being motivated alike. There are people who do those things. They, they think like each other. They love the same things and they love like each other. And they are motivated in life similarly. 
These are things they have in common. Thinking alike. Paul says there, be like-minded. Well, what should we be thinking about? What if I just came down there and asked, one, what do you think about right now? What do you normally think about? What should we be thinking about that leads to a unity within our fellowship, within our homes? Whenever Christians are together, well, I'll just share one verse with you. Paul answered that question in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says this, Set your minds, you could say think about, set your minds on things above. In another verse he says where Christ is, not on earthly things. Now, we live in the world, we live on this earth, we have to deal with it, but Paul's really saying, when it comes to forming a bond with your fellow believers, don't spend all your time just focused upon the stuff that's happening in this world. Jesus said it all passes away anyway. But set your mind on things above, where Christ is, the the hope that we have. The future that is laid out for us, as all of us do that, even though we're all in different circumstances on this earth, we wind up thinking alike. Thinking about the things that are yet to come. Think about the things that Jesus Christ is doing on our behalf right now. Thinking about all the promises and the person of God himself. Be like-minded. Set your minds on things above. So true unity involves people who are thinking alike. It also involves people who are loving alike. Paul writes, having the same love. Having the same love. And what type of love is that? What's the focus of this unifying love? Well, actually, Jesus gave the answer. The last night of his earthly life in the upper room where they had that final meal together where Jesus shared so many incredible truths recorded all the way from John chapter 13 all the way through John 17 just an endless series of things he shared with them that last night here's one of the things he shared John chapter 13 verse 34 Jesus says to them Paul would later say, have the same love. Well, here's the love, Jesus says, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. With a Jesus kind of love. We could talk all morning about what what characterizes the love of Jesus, but we could certainly say it's a purposeful love. It has a reason and a hope and a plan behind it. It's a sacrificial love. Whatever is required, Jesus would do, even to sacrifice his own life. And it has eternity in its view. Real love wants the the object of our love to be as ready for heaven as they can possibly be as a result of our involvement with them.
as ready for heaven as they can possibly be as a result of our involvement with them. That's love, to want what God wants for them. Thinking alike creates unity. Loving alike creates unity. Being motivated alike similarly creates unity. Paul says in that passage, being one in spirit and purpose. So what's the spirit and the purpose that that should motivate and inspire believers? Well, Paul shares one in the, the next letter he wrote. In fact, in Philippians, we read part of it, chapter 3 now, in verse 14, Paul says this, I, he's sharing his motivation, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. The old King James says the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says the thing that motivates me is pleasing God. The thing that motivates me is pleasing God to win the prize at the end of my life, to hear that well done. God's not going to ask much about our earthly achievements. He's going to ask about our heavenly readiness. Have we made ourselves ready and have we helped others get ready for their eternity? A similar motivation. You see, being with people who think like me, who love like me, and who are motivated by the same things as me, really is pretty much heaven on earth. How many of you can think of a time you've been in a room with people who are absolutely not like you? It's like they don't even think like me. It's like I don't even know how she said that. It's nonsensical. Have you ever read the news these days and said, these people are not like me at all. I don't even understand what's going on. And sometimes you're answerable to them. Sometimes they have control over your life. And they don't think like you. They don't love like you. They don't look at life the way you do. And and I'll tell you, when you are with people who think like you, as a believer, and who do love God and love one another like you do, and they have the same sort of a a motivation to want to please God with their life, it's like, ah, I'm with friends. These people are going to encourage me to do the very thing I most want to do. And I'm going to try to encourage them to do the thing they most want to do, which is really, in a word, just getting ready for heaven. Becoming the person God would have me be, walking with his spirit and giving his Holy Spirit control over my life every day, all day, that he might do what he was sent to do, which is to mature me and to conform me to the very image of Christ. So that when I finally get to heaven, the Father says, can say, there's another one. There's another one just like us a member of the family. Jesus is the firstborn of many, and here's, here's another one coming along. We need people around us who, in, who encourage us to keep coming along and realizing that our goal is, is at the Father's throne, not really anything here on this earth.
thinking alike, loving alike, being motivated alike, being together with people like that is, is pretty close to heaven on earth. That's why over the years there have been some Christian groups that just pull away from society and form their own little community. So that everybody in there is like us. And the goal is to say, we can create a little bit of a heaven on earth. But they can't really shut the devil out. And they really can't remove their fallen nature from themselves. And so even when people try to physically pull this off, it usually blows up in one way or another because they're thinking a, a physical solution will provide for a spiritual problem. But we do pull together as a congregation. The Bible says, don't forsake getting together. Well, we need to get together to be surrounded regularly by people who are absolutely like us, who think biblically, who love Christianly, and who desire to have their life become everything God wants it to be. Believers who have nobody in their life like that are really in a struggle. That's why we need to pray for believers in persecuted lands where they can't come together like this. But when we can, when we can, we should. And there's a, there's a power in that, a wonderful benefit to feeling that unity. Well, now just the last thing. What are the conditions under which true Christian unity can be enjoyed? We're talking about what it is. Think alike, love alike, be motivated alike. What, what causes that to happen? Well, this comes right out of the Philippians 2 passage, and here we go just quickly. Paul says, one, is there any encouragement in Christ? When you think of Jesus, does it encourage your heart? When we sing about Jesus, does it encourage your heart? Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and of course he means that there certainly is, there certainly is, so let Christ encourage you. Let Christ put courage into you. Even as the scripture says we should follow in his steps as the Holy Spirit enables us, let Christ put courage into you to live in a way that, that follows after him obediently. I'll share one verse with you that might be just a word of encouragement for Jesus, for us, from Jesus today. John 16, 33. Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's an encouraging word. Whatever is going on, it's not going to destroy the work of Christ. It's not going to undermine Jesus himself. He will still be the Son of God. He is still the Savior of the world. He is still the one who is ministering on our behalf right now in heaven and we can count on him and be encouraged by him. And then Paul says, is there any comfort from Christ's love? You know, Paul was writing to people who had never met Jesus. Very likely they never had any more than we've ever met him. But somehow they had heard enough about his love 
that it was a comfort to them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son so loved the world that he came. The Gospels filled with Jesus looking upon this person and this person and that person and says he's just filled with love and compassion. Christ loves you. Is there any comfort from love like that? Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this that I'm about to show you, that a man, me, would lay down his life for his friends. So Paul says, is, is there encouragement in Christ? Is there comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship with the Spirit? Too many Christians are not aware of that one. They really are not consciously aware that the Spirit of God has been sent to companion them every moment of the day and to sense the fellowship to sense the presence of God in their life. They try to imagine some other way of feeling close to God, and they're not aware that it's the Spirit of God who is the one who brings that sense of fellowship, the one who's with us, the one who guides us. So Paul says, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, and boy, there should be, it should be a reality of our life. Jesus said in John 14, 16, He the Father will give you another companion. I'm going away, but the Father will give you another companion. And Paul says that fellowship of the Spirit is a big part of creating unity. See, we become people who are encouraged by Christ. We are people who are comforted by Christ. We are people who enjoy fellowship with the Spirit of God. And then he asks one more thing. He says, is there any tenderness and compassion? The Christian life is not just about keeping rules and obeying and gritting your teeth and bearing it and, and, and judging one another when they fall short. The Christian life is about tenderness and compassion. Paul says, is there any? Well, boy, there sure should be. In the person of Jesus, there was plenty. The Holy Spirit today is filled as he deals with us with tenderness and compassion. Jesus once put it this way in an image, Luke 13, 34. He said, I have longed to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. That's not, that's not a tough God. That's a gentle one watching over us just gathering us together, protecting us when trouble comes. See, Paul says if there's any of that stuff, but he's saying as there is that stuff, you and I who experience that stuff have some wonderful things in common. We have a common experience with with the encouragement that Christ brings. We have a common experience with the comfort that his love provides. We have a common experience with the fellowship of the Almighty Spirit of God. And we have a common experience with things like tenderness and compassion. And when we have that, and when we reflect upon it, and when we focus ourselves upon it, 
we discover that we are thinking like each other. And we're loving like each other. And we're being motivated to live our lives like one another. And that's all setting us up for the day when in heaven itself we'll be in perfect harmony, perfect unity. And so praise God for the fellowship of the saints. Praise God for those that, that you come together with and you say, wow, there's another one just like me when it comes to serving and loving the Lord Jesus. And there aren't many of them to be found. But here in this place is one place that can be found. And so the final thought today just says this, in a common Christian confession, that's really what Philippians chapter 2 is. Paul's just confessing things that are common to all of us Christians. In a common Christian confession, earthly distinctions disappear because we're all caught up in Christ and in the truth and the love and the comfort and the grace that he provides. And other things really don't count for much. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that there's coming a day when we won't have to work on being unified. We won't have to get past anything to feel that one-mindedness, that one-heartedness, to have that common love. The devil will be gone. Our flesh will be gone. But Father, all those things are here now. So we pray by your Holy Spirit that all the things Paul said, if about, we would be sure about. If there's any encouragement in Christ, oh, Father, we know there is. is if there is any comfort in his love, we know there's plenty of that. People have shared it with us, demonstrated it to us. If there's any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, oh, Father, more and more, we're, we're sure of that. And if there is any tenderness and compassion, Father, if there were not, we would have been lost long ago. I thank you for the tenderness and compassion experienced that we experience from one another even in this place. And so, Father, bless this congregation. Bless all those people who gathered in Washington yesterday. May there be a sense of a, a oneness in Christ that is powerful, that can actually bring about fresh blessings from God in this country. For Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.